Good morning, rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're back, baby. Did you miss me yesterday? Oh, I know you did. Well, if you're a regular to the show and you were missing me yesterday, then you already know what to do, right? Click the like button. And if you're joining us here for the very first time, you're like, miss you, I hardly know you. It's my first time watching the show, but I like what you're saying, AP, so I guess I'll join you again by clicking that subscribe button here on the channel. Come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time here on the Wake Up America show. And if getting up a little bit too early like this is an odd thing for you and you don't plan on doing it very regularly, don't forget, there is an audio version of this podcast as well. All right, well, today is October the 24th, 2023, almost into November, November. Remember, remember. Uh, So let's go ahead and get this show on the road. Lots to talk about this morning and lots of great guests per usual. Starting the top of the show, there's never been a worse time to buy a home versus rent. We'll talk about that as well as Generation Z's habits now of living in simpler, quieter locations in the Midwest and the mountainous regions. More and more young people deciding not to go and live in the big cities, deciding to maybe live in a place near you and then support the Hamas and Palestinian terrorists. (laughs) What the hell are you talking about, Austin? Well, I'll just go ahead and segue. Uh, If being older makes you Republican, at least according to a poll from the Wall Street Journal, then being a young person means that you support Hamas. Cringe. Yes, that's right. Young people more cringe than ever these days. We'll talk about those this morning uh, and then we'll move on to actor Kirk Cameron joining us this morning. I'm not going to lie. If I was like, if this was me at like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old, back when Growing Pains was on TV, uh, I would be fangirling like crazy because I, I can't lie. I loved Growing Pains when I was a kid and actor Kirk Cameron was a kid that I looked up to, right? He was, I think he's about my age, maybe just a little bit older. But uh, when his uh, publicist reached out and told me, hey, he's got a new book coming out. He'd like to come on the show. I was like, absolutely. I'd love to talk to one of my um, uh, childhood heroes, Kirk Cameron. Of course, now he's a Christian activist and an author, and he's cru- he's on a crusade, as many good Christians are sometimes. He's on a crusade against Drag Queen Story Hours. His new book uh, that came out uh, starting on Pride Month was uh, is called Pride Cometh Before Fall. Oh, goodness gracious. Pride Comes Before the Fall, <laughs> which I think is kind of hilarious. We'll talk about it this morning with actor Kirk Cameron at 7.35. Uh, and I think that you'll enjoy our conversation. At 8 a.m. this morning, Camelia Peterson's going to join us to talk about AP, taking on the cult of the NAP, right? The AP, what's, what would AP, what would NAP be without AP? <laughs> what is NAP, Austin? People are turning in the log. What the hell is this? Well, it's a very, very esoteric libertarian debate or an argument uh, that sees the world and the concept of aggression against private property, meaning that the Non-aggression principle, if I can be generous to the people who are who are my critics, uh, I'm a critic of the NAP, the non-aggression principle, but my critics say the non-aggression principle is the, is the philosophy of libertarianism in their mind. Their idea is that libertarianism means that you should not commit an initiation of force against someone else unless they have initiated force against you. In general, that's how they describe it. Um, I reject it as the fundamental basis for libertarianism. My argument, of course, is that it is property rights, but I have been lighting people's hair on fire during my three-day weekend, people being so upset. And of course, I did a little bit of trolling as well as a treat. I like to give anarchists a little bit of trolling as a treat. Do you know how you pour a little bit of grease 
down the drain as a treat, just to give it as a treat, you know, the garbage compactor as a treat. Uh, I like to drop a little bit of trolling there uh, as a treat because anarchists get really mad when I reject the fundamental basis for what they believe to be libertarianism. But I just describe as pacifist anarchism. Anyway, I can go on and on and on for hours and hours. And I will for an hour in the last hour of the show, eight o'clock to nine o'clock. Camelia Peterson will join us to talk about that. And did you see that this this pilot, a pilot tried to take down an airline? Not the one who was flying the plane, but apparently they had, well, I guess they call them deadheads. But they had another pilot who was just tagging along, who was now being charged with 83 counts of attempted murder when he tried to shut down the engines of a plane midair. Uh, salam alaikum wa salam alaikum. What the hell is going on over there? Durka Durka Muhammad Jihad. We'll talk about that this morning at 823 and at 8:35 this morning. Brady Leonard from No Gimmicks Podcast. He saw my he saw me troll and troll and troll and over the weekend. And he said, hey, you know what, AP, I'm just as embarrassed as you are by the state of the modern liberty movement. And he's like, he's like, oh, well, you know, we should do another podcast or something to talk about. It. I'm like, how about this, Brady? Why don't you come on my awesome podcast and we'll talk about it tomorrow morning? And he's like, yes. OK, so Brady Leonard from No Gimmicks Podcast. He's here to confirm my biases. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, don't forget to you can text the show and let us know what's on your mind at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show today and let us know what's on your mind. Or if you think that there's a story that we haven't covered or that we might be missing, again, send us a text at 573-319-1586. Let us know what stories you think we should be covering or if there's breaking news. 573-319-1586 is that text line. And we will respond to your messages. Glad to have everybody who's joining us here. I see Floby Tenderson as well as our friend Robbie Theremin is here. Lots of friends. Oh, my God, there are a lot of text messages over there. All right, I'll have to check that during a break. So uh, we'll move on in just a moment. We'll get to those in just a moment. There's never been a worse time to buy a house rather than rent. Are you in the housing market these days and looking at buying a house? Uh, no, you're not, because right now it's the worst time ever. Uh, not ever, but one of the worst times in, in recent history to try and buy a house versus rent one. It's now 52% more expensive to buy a home than to rent one. Well, obviously because of the climbing mortgage rates, but also the prices of the homes are just unbelievable. They've skyrocketed. It, you know, the, the housing market, the availability of the homes, it's not helping either, right? And it actually isn't turning out to be this bonanza for landlords that I'm sure a lot of the socialists left would like to claim that this, oh, well, this must be great for landlords. Actually, it's not that great for landlords either. The cost of buying a home versus renting one is at its most extreme since at least 1996. The average monthly new mortgage payment is 52% higher than the average apartment rent. 52% higher to, do, to get a mortgage than to pay rent. The last time that a measurement in the housing market looked this out of whack was, of course, the 2008 housing crash. But even then, the premium peaked at 33% in the second quarter of 2006, meaning that back in 2008, if you wanted to buy a house, it was 33% more expensive for your monthly payment versus if you were renting. It's now 52% more expensive to pay a mortgage on a monthly basis than it is to rent. This is a serious problem. From 1996 to mid-2003, the average cost to buy 
or rent did indeed work out to be more or less equal, which is what you would expect. But after we had the global financial crisis, we had rock bottom interest rates, and then we had lots of housing supply. So for a while, it was actually 12% cheaper on average to buy a home than it was to rent one during the 2010s. But the current hefty ownership premium reflects the surging cost of debt, right? More, costs a lot more to get a mortgage. Uh, rates on 30-year mortgages have reached a high of 8%, as well as high housing prices since pandemic lockdowns raised the value of domestic space, right? So a person who's taking out, for example, a 30-year mortgage on a $430,000 home, if, let's say they made a 10% down payment, that person now is going to pay $3,200 in monthly repayments. Now, that is 60% more than if they had bought the same house three years ago. So Stephanie and I are in a situation, here comes the sneeze. So the, Stephanie and I figured that out as well. We were looking at our um, monthly payment. We bought our house, man, we got ours at 3.25, right? And it was, you know, we got in by the hair of our chinny, chinny, chin before all of the uh, prices went up. Because our house, I think the value of our home went up by $100,000, okay? So just since we bought it a couple of years ago, our house has gone up by $100,000, the value of it. And then the mortgage rates have more than doubled. So 3.2536, yeah, so seven, so it, it more than doubled. So our average monthly payment, you know, ends up being around like 1500. Yeah, our like monthly payments would be like 3200, $3,500. Honestly, we would not be able to afford the house that we live in right now. We got in right when the timing was perfect. And I mean, can you imagine that it there's it's just for so many people, especially my age, and a little bit younger, homeownership has seemed like this dream that was unattainable. And you know what? For a lot of us, it probably will be because not just the fact that the housing market is what it is, because I know what you're thinking. Oh, we're going to see maybe we're going to see another housing crash. But here's the thing. Do you really want that? Because that's that does not bode well for the rest of the economy either, right? I mean, the, the economy, every single sector of the economy would be impacted by this. And imagine what's going to happen to retirement, right? What's going to happen to retirement funds and what's going to happen to 401ks and Roth IRAs and things like that. This is, we are in a dire situation here in the United States with the current state of our economy. And the only people who are really happy right now are people who have rented their entire life and plan on continuing to rent for their entire life, right? It, and then think about like with the state of the economy as it is, how are you going to get your 10% down, right? You've got to make that 10% down initially and then get your 10% rate or then get your 8% rate locked in in order to, to qualify for your 30-year mortgage. Uh, it's not looking good, right? So everybody's thinking, okay, well, collapse in prices would restore the market to balance. But the only thing that would herald something like that, again, is a major recession, right? You know, about eight eighty percent of outstanding U.S. mortgages have an interest rate below five percent. Of course, that means that homeowners who have those rates, people like myself and my wife, that means that we're going to stay put, right? We're not going to be putting our house on the market 
which means that the supply of houses is going to remain small. Add into that the cost of building a new home outright, and it just it doesn't make a lot of sense for people to try and get into a home. Home ownership for many people right now at this point in the American economy is out of reach. Now, you would think, okay, if that's true, landlords will at least benefit because they'll be able to push rents higher, but the supply of homes to rent isn't as tight. There's been a glut of newly built apartments that are depressing rent growth. So demand from tenants is weaker than it was during the pandemic, as most people who are planning to move have already done so over the last two years. Fannie Mae thinks that vacancy rates in the U.S. multifamily buildings are going to reach 6.25%, which is above the 15-year average of 5.8. So you know, institutional investors are going to be harmed by this, right? They've poured billions of dollars into rental properties in recent years. Apartment stocks, if you own any stocks in like, uh, what are they called? REITs, I think, right? Apartment stocks, they're also underperforming because the buy to rent premiums, they returned in early 2021. So like shares of these companies have fallen like crazy. And, you know, we're just in a very dysfunctional housing market. And even one that should be tailor made for landlords, the only people who really seem to be getting what they want are people who are lifelong renters. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Send us a text at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. One listener texted in on uh, this morning, and or yesterday, I guess, and said, is everything okay? Oh, all these texts were from yesterday. Okay. Was this a scheduled non-broadcast, Kilsharian asks? Uh, yes, it was. It was our um, our anniversary yesterday, so we took the day off. Um, one listener texted in, says, Rifle Keychain received. It's awesome. Thank you. Um, and we appreciate you very much for that. Enjoy your three-day anniversary. Yes. One listener texted in and says, Rise in Freedom. Happy anniversary. Miss hearing the show today. Take care. Another one says, I hope you have a nice day off. And another one says, Happy anniversary. Be fruitful and multiply. Well, don't worry. We are working on that. <laughs> you can text the show at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show today and let us know your thoughts at 573-319-1586 is the text line. We got lots of great show for coming up for you today. Uh, I thought that this was an interesting story as well. Generation Z, speaking of housing, Generation Z is increasingly drawn to simpler living. Here's where they're moving. Gen Z is actually looking beyond more crowded states for places where there's elbow room and affordability. Older generations aren't selling homes, making it harder for Gen Z to get into more popular markets. Yeah, you know, so you're not selling your home because it's too hard to get into a new home. And apparently the younger generation is okay moving longer distances to find more comfortable living arrangements. I honestly think this is a good thing, right? More and more younger people are saying to themselves, you know, it doesn't make sense to live in New York City or Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles. You know, I, I don't feel the need to be a part of the party scene. I want to have like a nice living arrangement and be comfortable and make good money and go where I can actually afford to buy gasoline, right? Where it's not six or seven dollars a gallon. Um, Emily, Amelia Mann, she's a senior analyst at Storage Cafe, says Gen Z doesn't have the same location preferences as older generations. Yeah, I, I moved to New York after college. Unlike millennials, me who often gravitate to DC, yeah, me, Washington, and Illinois, Gen Zers tend to favor states with lower population density, from the mountainous terrains of Montana and Idaho to the plains of Kansas and Nebraska. And of course, it makes sense because 
what's happening in the workplace, right? More and more people are accepting remote work. And of course, younger people are looking for more affordable homes and they want to be closer to outdoor activities, which places like Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and things like that have an abundance, right? So data from Rent Cafe shows that Generation Z homeowners totaled 2 million in 2022, but Generation X and Millennial homeowners 20 totaled 24.4 and 18.2 million, respectively, right? So massive difference in Gen X and Millennial homeowners, and that makes sense compared to Generation Z, those younger generation, they need more time to be able to get into homes. And uh, of course, if you want to try and get into a housing market in popular cities, whether it's buying or renting, I mean, it's just going to be a lot harder. It, I, I cannot tell you the nightmare scenario of what it's like to try and find an apartment in New York City. I mean, everybody hates it or trying to find a place in Washington, D.C. The thing about Washington, D.C. is, is that it really is uh, the, the, the wealthiest counties in all of the United States are the ones surrounding Washington, D.C. It's like the uh, six out of the seven richest counties in the United States are the ones surrounding Washington, D.C. Did you know this? Yeah, you can look it up, Google it, uh, which I find fascinating because, of course, isn't that's where all of our tax money is going. Yeah, they spend a lot of money. So a lot of government workers, right? So, but if you want to live near Washington, D.C., if you like, say you want to live in Nova, Northern Virginia or anything like that, you're going to pay out the nose. And, and so that's why a lot of people, including uh, a good friend of mine, they just live in West Virginia. Right? That's what Tim Pool does, right? Whenever I go, you know, do Tim Pool, which I've done like a couple of times, um, they you fly into Reagan Airport. That's what I do is fly into DCA. Then they pick you up from DCA and then they drive you like, you know, 90 minutes out into the country to go where Tim Pool lives out in the, out in the woods in, in West Virginia. So it makes sense. It makes sense. Because, I mean, listen, I mean, Tim Pool's a rich guy, but uh, he, you know, you don't get rich by spending your money and living, you know, in Washington, D.C. It would probably be a lot easier to get guests. But if you think about it, it doesn't matter because everybody wants to be on the biggest shows in the world, right? Like everybody wants to be on a big show. They're going to drive 90 minutes to go out there and have an audience of, you know, 10,000, 100,000 people or whatever it is that are going to watch whatever their, you know, whichever episode it is that they're on. So for them, it doesn't make it, it they don't have to worry about it. Like even the, the problem is, is that, for example, for people in our industry, you know, Tim is lucky that because he has fast internet where he does his show. But that is a problem. So for example, if for some reason, Scott Fawn kicks me out of this studio and, and I can't use it anymore, right? I'd be in quite a pickle because I can't just build a studio in my home because we don't have fast internet where we are, even though we're very close to the, um, we're close to the city. We're just outside the city limits and we don't get broadband at, at my house. So I can't do the Wake Up America show from my house. Even if I wanted to build a studio there, I can't. Uh, so that really is a challenge for a lot of people that most people are, a lot of people are getting solved. I won't say most, but a lot of people are getting these, this problem solved. If you're a younger worker like myself, I know a lot of people in older communities they don't necessarily value the high-speed internet as much as younger people do. But if you're going to spread out into these communities, if, if Missouri or Kansas or Nebraska or Montana or South Dakota or any of these states that have a lower population density, if they want to be able to attract a lot of these people, a lot of these young people to their communities, internet access is going to be a top priority. It's not just going to be being able to afford a home. It's going to be can I build a studio in my home that I can stream my TikTok lives and sell my fashion merchandising items on, right? 
because what a dream come true. I mean, think about it, right? The, if you're thinking about the American dream, what an, 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 an unbelievable American dream. And Stephanie and I talk about this all the time because she does literally work from the home. Like she doesn't have to leave and go to a studio like I do. What an American dream to have your business, be at home, spend the majority of time with your family, uh, be able to have a healthy relationship with your pets, your, your, your children, your husband, your wife, whatever, to, and be able to do your job in your home entirely. If you're, let's say that you're doing remote work, even if you're working for a, a boss in a different place, but you're still in your home, I've got to think that the mental health benefits for this, not just the economic ones, because think about it, you're not spending money on gas, you're not commuting, so uh, uh, that's that's a big there's a there's a financial incentive to work from home but also the mental health benefits right being home i know a lot of there are a lot of people who you know being extroverted perhaps they like the office environment and they want to be around people and they want to be like hey how's your day did you play golf did you watch the game you know etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, i don't know maybe it's just because i'm 42 and i'm cranky and already old i'm over the hill so i don't care about any of that kind of stuff but i've never really been much of a team player anyway so if you're like me, if you're the type of person who is self-motivated, who is happy to work for yourself, the benefits of being able to work from home, having internet access to your house, and being able to afford a home that you can have a little bit of land and acreage, I mean, my happiness levels have, are, are like off the charts, right? They are off the charts, right? And the times that I've worked for somebody else, I had to go into an office, and God dang, I have had to stay at an office for hours, even when my work was done and there was nothing for me to do, nothing. You can't do other work, you can't do outside work, right? So what, what is there for me to do? There would be times where I would be like four hours, oh my God, there would be times where it was like five hours with nothing to do and they just want you there. They just want you to be there and it's like, why? Why am I here? What am I doing? Why can't I just get this work done? How about I just work Monday through Thursday and then take a three-day weekend, I get the same amount of productivity a week, it's done. Oh my God. It, anyways, anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm kvetching and I'm schwitzing like a hasa. <laughs> Hebrew on the brain this morning. Uh, I wonder what your thoughts are on this. Uh, do you see more young people moving into your communities? Uh, what about broadband in your community? Has it made it out its way yet? Would that change your life? It's sure would change mine. I'd love to be able to build a, like a guest house slash studio on my property. Stephanie and I talk about that all the time. But as of right now, until we get internet, and that's just another American dream that we won't be able to pull off. Although, you know, so far, we're doing fairly well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. Again, the text lines are always open here on the Wake Up America show night or day at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show and let us know what's on your mind at 573 573- 319-1586. Again, one more time. 573-319-1586 is the text line. Let us know what's on your mind or if you think there's any news stories that we might need to cover this morning. Um, I was going to talk about this. Trump challengers are begging for money. Big donors aren't giving it. This is another article I was going to talk about from the Wall Street Journal. And I've only got a couple of minutes before I'm supposed to go grab Kirk Cameron and uh, get him in here on the show and talk about his new book and his Christian crusade against Drag Queen Story Hour. We'll talk to him in a few minutes. But I guess it does uh, beg mentioning that it does seem to be that the Donald Trump nomination is a foregone conclusion. And uh, listen, I understand that the votes have not been counted yet. And as a you know, former Ron Paul, hardcore, you know, 2008, 2012 supporter, 
you know, other, I, I understand the mentality of the people who are in this primary and who are, um, and who are holding out hope that there's going to be a comeback and that things will change after Iowa, et cetera. And maybe that's right. You know, maybe Ron DeSantis stages a comeback and overturns the primary. Donald Trump gets convicted and sentenced to jail and the Republicans are like, OK, this is too much for us to bear. Maybe, maybe that happens. I would not bet my own money on that. Would you? Would you? I guess that's really the question is, would you bet your own money that Somebody else other than Donald Trump is going to be the primary nominee. I see a lot of DeSantis supporters out there, and God bless DeSantis. He's doing a wonderful job. I have nothing unkind to say about him except a few quibbles here or there about certain stances and things that, I, honestly, I don't disqualify him for president in my mind. I know a lot of people out there who are big Trump lovers. They hate DeSantis for whatever reason. And I know a lot of libertarians who are like, well, those things disqualify him for me. But you know what? I just, you know, I, I it's like dating these days, you know, lower your standards, raise your percentages. <laughs> <laughs> but this Wall Street Journal article, Trump challengers are begging for money. Big donors aren't giving it. GOP business titans who open wallets to stop Trump in 2016 are deterred by his lead in the primary polls. Well, that makes sense. I, it, it's probably going to be Trump. And if it is, we need to figure out how we're going to win because we sure as hell can't take another four years of Joe Biden. Can we drag Queen story hours night and day? Second turn. That's when the presidents become more radical. So, you know, Donald Trump, no drag queen story hours. I don't know. Let's ask Kirk Cameron about that when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. How are you feeling today? Oh, wow. Great mood, huh? Well, it's Tuesday, October the 24th. It feels like Monday to me, but that's because I took yesterday off. It was my anniversary after all. Two years with my lovely wife, Stephanie Peterson, and we went and we got a nice couple's massage, and then we um, uh, spent the day together, had a nice lunch, and then we went and... Uh, uh, looked at all of our videos and pictures from the wedding ceremony and things like that. Just kind of reminisced. It's nice. One of the things that I thought was, you know, kind of sad was when you're looking at those pictures. It's amazing. Just two years later, you know, we've already lost two, three, actually three of the people who were at our, at our wedding ceremony. My Aunt Karen, my Uncle Bobby, and our friend Aaron Abel, who has passed away since the wedding. And um, it's just absolutely amazing when you think about it, because it just makes you really cherish the time that you have with the people that you love and you care for. If there's people in your life or your family today that, especially if they're getting up there in age, um, it, it's, uh, it's a good time to reach out to them, send them a text message, let them know that you love them and that you care about them. Amazingly, Robbie George, still alive. Congratulations, Robbie. <laughs> Hacking up and hopping along and holding his ear. <laughs> He's outliving everybody. Uh, glad to have you here, Robbie. We saw you there at the wedding as well. You can text the show today at 573-319-1586. Let us know what's on your mind. Again, you can text the show and let us know what's happening in the world at 573-319-1586. I do have unconfirmed reports uh, from the Express in the United Kingdom that Vladimir Putin may have suffered a cardiac arrest, sparking alarm in the Kremlin inner circle. Just an FYI, this is an unconfirmed report. Uh, at the moment, we are not aware whether or not this is a true story, it is being reported in some news outlets. 
And we appreciate Andy Opperman for sharing this with us this morning. Guards at Vladimir Putin's residence reportedly entered the Russian leader's apartment after hearing a loud crash before discovering the 71-year-old lying on the floor next to the bed. Apparently, Vladimir Putin is alleged to have suffered a cardiac arrest in his private Moscow apartment on Sunday evening. A Telegram channel, and this is why this is unconfirmed, because of the source of this information, we are not 100% certain of its accuracy as of yet. But of course, since I am not a mainstream media news outlet or organization, I'm not bound by the same rules. I can talk about things as an opinion uh, journalist and share them with you as long as I give you the important caveat that we do not know if this story is true or not. And of course, at, Russia is certainly not going to post or share something like this. But here's where, we, where we're hearing this. A Telegram channel that's believed to be run by a former Kremlin insider reported that incident saying that the Russian leader was found by guards on the floor of the bedroom, quote, lying on the floor, rolling his eyes. Doctors were reportedly called immediately, and they diagnosed the 71-year-old as having suffered a cardiac arrest. Putin was then moved to a special medical facility built in the apartment where he underwent intensive care, according to this source. This unverified report, keyword unverified, comes following persistent speculation surrounding Putin's health and rumors of a long-hidden medical condition. The Telegram channel, called General SVR, is reportedly run by a former Russian lieutenant general. It declared in a post, security officers of Russian President Vladimir Putin, who were on duty at the resident, heard, heard noise and sounds of falling come from the president's bedroom. Two security officers came in and saw Putin lying on the floor next to the bed and an overturned table with food and drinks. There'll be something in that food or drinks. I don't know what I'm playing here, right? So apparently, according to General SVR, Putin convulsively arched while lying on the floor rolling his eyes. Doctors later reportedly arrived a rus resuscitated Putin, having previously determined that he had been in cardiac arrest. Now, this reported heart attack, which is yet to be independently confirmed, said to have seriously spooked Putin's inner circle. Now, uh, it is known that uh, Putin, just like many people around the world, used body doubles that are swapped in for the Russian leader for public events and foreign visits and this is a common thing that happens all the time. A lookalike was used by Kremlin officials during a recent trip to China during a meeting with Xi Jinping. But apparently, the reported body double is said to have suffered a facial malfunction. Uh, yes. So, <laughs> what, the, what the hell? Uh, a facial malfunction. Uh, okay, so apparently the fault is with the double's Floating cheekbones, this stuff's interesting as hell, which do not stay in place and move in different directions. The double initially had less expressive cheekbones, which as a result of plastic surgery was enlarged and made similar to Putin's cheekbones, but it is impossible to make sure that they remain stationary in the right places. Uh, what the hell? All right. Well, um, we were supposed to have Kirk Cameron on for this one, and we don't. So I tell you what I'm going to do. Give me a brief hot second. Give me a, a minute and a half. I'm going to go call his handler and find out what's going on. And I'll be right back in two shakes of a lamb's tail. All right. I'll be, and uh, check out my coffee while we're at it. You have to force behaviors. And at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Looks like no Kirk Cameron today. I know. Don't be sad. It's not my fault. They messed up the time zones. It happens. You know, when you're a celebrity. 
Well, when you're a celebrity booker, you got to watch those time zones. When I worked at Fox Business, the very first like month or so, when we were first like the logistics of booking interviews was a nightmare to learn. So I know it's hard to get that stuff straight, right? Everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, it's 7.30 a.m. That's when the interview is, right? Oh, okay, yeah, well, 7.30 a.m. is not 7.30 a.m. We're what they are. So I did speak to his booker and handler, and they said that we're going to get him on the show maybe tomorrow. So let's see, I think I might actually have somebody booked. I no, know, I know. God! No, God, please, Well, this is what you no, have to do when you don't no, have a producer. You're a one-man no, band here, right? No. I'm pushing buttons, spinning plates, playing the drums, singing, acting, dancing. It's an all-singing, all-dancing, tap-dancing monkey show. And that's me, Austin Peterson. That's not Kirk Cameron's fault. It's the handlers. Don't blame him. I'm not upset. Uh, so apparently, um, yeah, they don't check those times. So uh, you can text the show today and let us know what's on your mind. 573-319-1586. One listener texted in was asking me about Jefferson City doesn't have broadband? Question mark. Well, the city does, but I'm 100 yards outside of the city. Right? And they said, what providers are out there? You checked into T-Mobile? Starlink is too expensive. Yeah, we looked into Starlink, but they just never, ever responded when we tried to get it. And then we do get T-Mobile, so but it's basically just 5G. So the internet that we have on uh, on the the internet that we have in our house is just 5G. So you know, as fast as it is on your phone, is as fast as we get on our computers at home. So that's why I have to be in a studio in Jefferson City so I can get the internet, the wireless. All right. So if you got a question for the show, let us know five seven three. 319-1586 is the text line, and we'll get um, Kirk Cameron on the show tomorrow. All right. Well, Henry, Harry Sisson on Palestine. Why are we talking about this? Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let's play a clip for you guys, and, um, and once I get my bearings, my feet underneath me, then we can talk about the news. Let's continue here. Important, and this one's for all the people who are saying that they're not going to vote for Joe Biden in 2024 because of what's happening in the Middle East. By punishing Joe Biden by not voting for him, you are punishing yourselves and millions of other Americans. This is a gift to the Trump campaign. Republicans have been trying for years to make it harder for people to vote in swing states and states around the country, but especially young people, people of color, minorities, and more. By sitting on the sidelines saying, I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden, you are doing what they want. You are giving a gift to the Republicans. And look, the policy that Donald Trump and the Republicans will pass if they win and if everybody sits on the sidelines will be disastrous. It will be far worse than Donald Trump. Disastrous for you, gay boy. First term. So when it comes to Joe Biden, you don't have to love him. You don't have to like him. You don't have to like voting for Joe Biden. But please compare Joe Biden to the alternative, not the almighty of which is a president you fully agree with and is fully morally in line with you. This is a very complex issue with what's happening in the Middle East. I can assure you that the Biden administration is doing their best. And this is not a reason to give this country back to the Republicans who will treat Palestine significantly worse than any Democrat ever will. Please, let's be logical with this stuff, folks. Come on. <laughs> not going to do it. Not going to do it. Uh, George H.W. Bush, not going to do it. Not going to vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> if you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. I'm glad and grateful to have you here. Don't forget to click that like button and subscribe to the channel so you can get updates when we go live here on the Wake Up America show. It's every Monday through Friday. 
from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Katie556 over in the Rumble stream says, Harry seems to be writing Biden's depends. It's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, wonder if Harry was one of them kids that liked playing with his leg hair, says Studio 314. <laughs> so, Gross. How dare you? Uh, don't judge based on performance, says Quest Fanning. Yes, very funny. Sign of Jonah says, public schooling did that? Please tell me he wasn't homeschooled. Please, there's no way you could be that dumb and be a homeschooler. Uh, Harry is riding Biden's jock so hard, says Studio 314. I think that depends. was a little bit funnier. Um, <laughs> click like and subscribe to the channel and come back and join us every Monday through Friday here on the Wake Up America show. We'll be glad and grateful to have you here. We've got a lot of great content for you here coming up on the show. Our lovely Camelia Peterson is going to join us to talk about the cult of the NAP. If you're not uh, one of those libertarians or conservatives or whatever you are, right winger populists, who is chronically online, and I assume you are because the type of people who probably know how to use Rumble, get on the app, put it up on their phone, they're probably the type of people who know how to like be on the internet and prefer to be on the internet. You might have seen over the weekend my battle with the anarchists, which is kind of like a bi-yearly event. Every couple of years, the anarcho-capitalists decide to go to war with AP, which is never a good idea because Austin is undefeated in online debates. Undefeated. Not only am I undefeated in online debates, I'm also undefeated in literal, real-life, actual debates. Like, I have debated at the presidential level. Look me in the eyes. You're looking at a man who has committed to, to presidential debates in front of hostile audiences that did not want me there. And I stared them down in the eyes and I won them over. I have never lost a debate. But for some reason, it's more meat for the grinder. Every two years, it looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. Anarchists want to argue with me about the non-aggression principle. And this is just a little funny anecdote. Uh, it's, it's easy to get anarchists off of the non-aggression principle. All you have to do to get an anarchist to violate the nap is to tell them, one, that 9-11 wasn't an inside job. They will uh, commit acts of aggression. Two, vaccines are cool and good three those uh lines in the sky that you see from airplanes yeah they're called contrails and they're formed when the humidity in the air is at a certain point and the droplets of water that come off of the airplane form a line in the sky sometimes they last longer than others and that depends on the humidity, the, the general humidity of the region. So those are called contrails, okay? And you could say they're chemtrails, but only in the loosest definition of the word because water is a chemical, dihydrogen monoxide. So what we're talking about there are contrails. So the funny thing about that and why this is a funny little anecdote is because I was at the Pork Fest, annual pork, Porcupine Festival that they have every year out in the woods in New Hampshire. And this was like 10 years ago. Uh, and I was debating with an anarchist, <clears throat> an anarcho-capitalist, if you will, about chemtrails, 9-11, and vaccines, uh, and, you know, just debunking most of the, you know, the horseshit myths and lies and, and you know, that the get uh, thrown around about these things. 
and it was after that debate was over that there was like a uh, like a big bearded you know anarchist with his shirt off who was like Austin Austin Peterson right he was so angered by my words I guess sticks and stones may break my bones but debunking conspiracy theories will get you who get punched in the face he had to be held back restrained from physically assaulting me because I denied his God. And what is his God? What is the God of the anarcho-capitalists? What is the, the, the central figure in their cult? They do have many cult figures, people like Rob Hall, you know, Murray Rothbard and, you know, uh, Bob Murphy and people like this, right? The cult leaders. But the central figure, like the golden idol, the sacred cow, if you will, which I just love to fatten up a sacred cow. And then every two years, you know, you get the fat, you get the non-aggression principle, the sake of the golden calf that the Israelites are worshiping. Oh, right. And I come down like Moses with my 15, I mean, 10 commandments, if you will. <laughs> Say, oh, private property, right? You have the true God. Uh, but no, they, uh, the, in this one, the Jews are uh, worshiping the false God of the non-aggression principle. Uh, except the lots of libertarians seem to hate Jews, which we found out in the last couple of weeks. Oh God, no, it's not good. God, it's no, not good. God, please, it's no, time for a new no, libertarianism. But anyway, no, so they worship the no. the cult of the NAP because a lot of libertarian leaders have said have boiled down the philosophy to what I think is reductio ad absurdum, right to its absolute absurd levels. Um, the non-aggression principle is pacifist anarchism. And boy, that makes pacifist anarchists very angry when I say that. But I don't understand why, because they believe in the non-aggression principle and they are pacifist anarchists. But many of them say, no, 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 we're not pacifists. Okay, well, hold on. Let's get to that in just a moment. We're going to have a longer discussion about that this morning. That's fine. You say you're not a pacifist. Okay, let's, let's take it on its merits that you believe what you say. Remember, there are people like economist Bob Murphy, who likes to spar with me online, uh, Bob Murphy, who says he is a pacifist. And a lot of people don't know what pacifist means. I'm going to guess that Bob Murphy does know what it means, uh, what, it, what it means. But if you are a pacifist, what does that mean? Please, please, pacifist anarchists, learn what this means. If, or if you're a person who believes in the non-aggression principle, what does pacifist anarchism mean? Pacifist anarchism, right? Mean you know you know what anarchist means most likely, right? No government, no leaders, no rulers. But what does pacifism mean, right? This is a key word. Right? It's very important, right? Let's bring out our vocab here. It means you will not act in self-defense. You will not act using violence to defend yourself. Okay, that's pacifism. Some people think pacifism is only like I'm only gonna I'm gonna be anti-war and I'm. And, and I'm going to do everything we can to stay out of conflict. I'm not going to get into fight. I'm not going to go out looking for fights and all that. But if somebody does attack me, I will fight back. That's not pacifism. Okay? Pacifism means you turn the other cheek. Someone attacks you, right? That, that means that you are Christ-like. Jesus was a pacifist, right? Slap across the cheek. He says, slap me on the other cheek, right? And then he also said some things that contradicted that. But, you know, that's religion. So pacifism means that you won't strike back, okay? So Bob Murphy says he's a pacifist anarchist. So you could literally beat Bob Murphy's ass and he would beg for more, okay? Please, daddy, tread harder. Okay, so maybe like Judge Napolitano said on my show last week, he disagrees with Bob Murphy, right? Maybe you're not a pacifist anarchist in the sense that you don't believe that you're a pacifist anarchist. 
but you believe in the non-aggression principle. You say to yourself, okay, well, I'm not a pacifist anarchist, Austin. You're mischaracterizing what it is that I believe. Well, here's the problem. You are functionally still a pacifist because if you can only attack someone after they've attacked you, well, it's you're going to be very peaceful in death, meaning that you, if you have to wait for someone else to commit an act of aggression before you actually do something about it, before you actually fight back, well, the NAP is the only philosophy you need. It allows me to kill you after you kill me, right? So what does that mean? That means that sometimes you got to be able to set up an ambush, right? That means that sometimes you're going to be have to you're going to have to be able to identify a threat before it is committed an act of aggression against you. Let me ask you something: If the Israelis had seen Hamas planning the attack that they were getting ready to that they were getting ready to do, that horrible horrific act of terrorism that occurred on October 7th, right, this month. If, if Israel had noted that that was going to happen and had initiated a preemptive strike and, and at multiple targets and taken out the Hamas fighters before they were able to commit that terrorist attack, what do you think the actual response of the international community would have been if Israel had done that? They're initiating force. They're aggressors, right? Because you would not have seen that what what had actually happened. Because unfortunately, the Israelis they they abided by the NAP. They waited until the aggression, the act of aggression was committed until, and then it was too late, right? And then it's too late. So you are functionally a pacifist, even if you don't definitionally call yourself that. If you are a believer in the non-aggression principle. Mm, I've got lots of bones to pick with the non-aggression principle. Well, we could talk about things like smoking, for example. Do you smoke? Well, you're violating the non-aggression principle. The non-aggression principle doesn't allow smoking because I don't consent to receiving your secondhand smoke. Well, what about what if it's private property and all this kind of stuff? Well, what? That's, let's not talk about the ideal utopian dream world where everybody is existing only on their own private property. Let's talk about the world that actually exists instead of the bullshit bullshit fantasy world that you've all made up in your heads because you're doing too many drugs. Okay, let's talk about the real world as it is. If you're out on a sidewalk, somebody's smoking a cigarette, that smoke might get into my lungs or my children's lungs. Therefore, you have initiated force against me and you have committed an act of aggression by smoking a cigarette out on a public street, which public streets exist, and you can't get around that fact no matter how much you want to live in the, the stoner, drugged out utopia land that you've constructed in your head. We live in the real world and here here in the United States in 2023. And any libertarian solution that doesn't deal with the world as it is right now is stupid bullshit that doesn't make any difference and isn't going to change anything. And again, exists only in the circle jerk utopia that you have with your friends and you live out and you go out in the woods of New Hampshire every year and you wait until a random minarchist like myself comes out to debate you and tell you the 9-11 wasn't an inside job and then you try and initiate force against them because of course you're all hypocrites. But I digress. Uh, and of course, the non-aggression principle is also anti-capitalist. <laughs> I know that they're mad right now. <laughs> the non-aggression principle would outlaw all forms of industrial capitalism. Why, Austin? How dare you? Re, I can hear the re a mile long. Why is the non-aggression principle anti-capitalist? Because industrial capitalism pollutes 
it pollutes and I do not consent to you, even on your own private property, to pollute the air that we all breathe in. Therefore, you are not allowed to burn coal and to release any of those chemicals into the atmosphere. Ah, what say you then? What say you then? Uh, Non-aggression principle, anti-capitalist, anti-smoking. You can't drive a car under because driving a car is an act of aggression. Because if you drive a car, you're polluting the atmosphere. And I do not consent to breathing in air from your car. Hmm, that's interesting. Which leads us to a discussion about catalytic converters. Murray Rothbard, not Murray Rothbard, excuse me, Milton Friedman, who argued that perhaps there is an argument for catalytic uh, converters to be required to be installed in vehicles because the rest of us should deserve to breathe clean air and we don't want to all live like China like they do in Beijing. This is the problem with the NAP. It's time for a new liberty movement. And I think I know who's the right person to have a conversation with about this. I'll even have a lot of people who disagree with me this week. I want to reach out to some people. Clint Russell wants to debate me again. I think he got, he felt like he got spanked the first time. So the redheaded libertarian girl invited me in like a Tim Cast debate with Clint Russell. So I got to go slap him around again here pretty soon. I'll let you know about that. Camilla Peterson joining us next on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, rise and freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. All right, well, it's the moment that I know that many of you are all, have all been waiting for as I've been lighting many of your hair on fire over the weekend. If you're hate watching this morning, how about a little love? Click the like button. It doesn't violate any NAP. Subscribe to the channel if you're enjoying the content today and come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time. Well, every couple of years, AP takes on the Nazis. You know, I hate Nazis. The non-aggression principle Nazis, the ones who say that you can't be a libertarian unless you believe in this completely and utterly retarded and bankrupt moral philosophy that justifies things like this. Over the weekend, when I said that the NAP is not only bad and wrong, but also possibly evil and should be discarded because of things like this. This is what Lando 1305 on Twitter says, as far as I'm concerned, Israel's forceful displacement of the native Palestinians and apartheid state violated the map a long time ago. Whatever the Palestinians do now is simply a reaction to the oppression started by the Israeli government. Hmm, that's interesting. So the non-aggression principle can justify terrorism. Well, that's absolutely fascinating. Another reason to say that I think that the liberty movement has definitely gone off the rails. Here's what I have to say. The liberty movement largely, but not entirely, exists between two extremes. One, retard mode. Correct about the issues, correct analysis of world events, but completely inwardly focused, fighting internal battles and with no action plan that involves working from where we're at to make even the most minor of improvements, right? Affixed to dogma, little knowledge about the ideas that disagree with us or how to combat them, little to no practical knowledge or skill. So that's retard mode, right? And the other extreme the, uh, on that uh, in the liberty movement is full retard mode, right? So we vary between these two modes, one retard mode, two full retard mode. Uh, and the full retard mode is where we're wrong about the issues, like Lando, ignorant of their own history and philosophy, Everyone who disagrees with them is a neocon, right? The bad guys are the good guys, actually, and the good guys are the bad guys. Okay, Scott Horton. Everything exists only in the framework of aggression and nothing else. 
and lots and lots of drugs for kids. And what if the child consents, though? Well, if you're looking for an off-ramp for those two options, then you're in the right place. You're watching the Wake Up America show where every Tuesday and Thursday we play the game, Make Camelia Peterson Blush, and she's joining us right now. Good morning, CJ. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> I'm not sure how much blushing there will be today, but uh, <laughs> there was certainly hair on fire this weekend, and it was uh, entertaining to watch. <laughs> bit of a, um, yeah, bit of a, of a, yeah, like you say, hair on fire situation, but uh explosive reaction, angry reaction. But uh, were you surprised to see people making justifications for murdering babies in using the non-aggression principle? It's just been, yes. And the thing is, is the whole, um, the big figures in libertarianism um, currently anyway, which I, I would argue that some of the people who are most well-known um, in libertarian, at least online circles right now, are probably not the best representatives of libertarianism. Uh, but their voices, you know, since the conflict with Hamas started, um, you know, what, almost two, two weeks ago now? Has it been that long? Uh, it is, you know, they have just like focused on these things that kind of excuse what Hamas did, or they they find ways to not maybe not excuse what Hamas did, but to just to justify um, somehow their idea that Israel shouldn't respond. And in doing so, they tacitly, you know, excuse Hamas's actions. And so it just is it's been kind well, of crazy they, to watch. They actually like actively say that it's okay and, and because of what Israel has done to them in the past. It's like, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos, but I mean, they're literally marching into just civilians' homes and just right. <laughs> shooting them with AK-47s. Right. And you know when that the guy who was talking about that and and going back and saying, well, or he's not the only one by far, but they're saying, well, the Israelis did it first, you know, or whatever. How the thing is, okay, so you could apply that almost anywhere, including America for sure. So so what? If the Native Americans decided to just, you know, go on a, a shooting spree and start killing people, they would be justified in doing so because they were here first. I mean, right, that right. Just, so exactly. The Native Americans are justified in going and leaving the reservations, getting fully automatic machine guns and shotgunning babies in cribs here, <laughs> you know, just randomly because of what happened to them. And the irony in all of this is that the reason that all of these people have the freedom to say all of these things to and espouse all of these crazy ideas is that they have the luxury of living in a country where they are allowed to do so. A country that is so successful and prosperous that they actually have time because they don't have to slave away, you know, 24-7. They have time to delve into these, you know, philosophical rabbit trails and to entertain crazy ideas. Yeah, I, it's... I, it, you know, it, it reminds me of uh, A Few Good Men. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw that movie with Jack Nicholson. Probably not because you don't watch that. You don't watch <laughs> movies. But but in a, it's also a play. So maybe you did see that. But, um, you know, he says it, it, Colonel, uh, the colonel in the, in the movie or the, the show is like the bad guy. But he does make a good point when he says, like, you need me on that wall. Right. Like, I don't have time to listen to the opinions of people whose uh, protection uh, like who 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 sleep softly under my protection right and to some extent that's true right to some extent it's a little anti-democratic right the military should work for the civilians however but the my point here is simply that 
because the only reason that modern libertarianism exists to a certain extent, or at least pacifist anarchism as I define it under the NAP, is the same reason that Amish exist, right? Do you think that the Amish would last very long if you dropped them off in Syria, for example, or the Quakers? How well do you think the Quakers would do if you left them in the Gaza Strip? Right. I mean, and that's just it, is this is pacifism uh, can only exist um, when there are people willing to uh, be aggressive. Yeah. And to go to war. I right, mean, right. It and, is... and to go to war, right? It, it's, but they don't, they don't seem to understand. They, they conflate this, these ideas of, of self-defense with aggression because the non-aggression principle has made them look at the world through only through the lens of aggression. So therefore, and I, I don't know how much you heard of me talking about this beforehand, but like, for example, secondhand smoke is not a, right. it, it, that's a violation of the non-aggression principle. But did you know that? Well, yes. I mean, by the way you've described it, uh, and the thing is, I know they, you know, I've seen some of the responses where they say, okay, well, whose property are you on? I mean, maybe you should just leave that property. Okay, well, that then ignores the the issue of the the public square, so to speak. And I know that's a whole other debate, mm -hmm. but the reality is, is there are common areas for us to exist uh, cooperatively as a society. You are going to have common areas where you have to accommodate all people. So it's you know, <clears throat> you mentioned you kind of alluded to it, I think, in one of the tweets, and I was racking my brain trying to think where I'd heard this, and I finally realized it's because you said it last week, I think. <laughs> But um, you said something about, you know, if your principles can't uh, exist in the real world is as we live in it, they don't then they don't do you any good. And I think that's really important because I'm an ideologue. I mean, like I, I'm an idealist. I want to go for, you know, what I know that we we should be capable of. And I think that it's important that we keep that idealism. I think it's important that we have the people who are the idealists because we need that constant tension. Because if there were no idealists, like we would just descend into you know chaos because there would be no checks and balances, so to speak. Um, so I do think it's important that we have. It's kind of like you know with Reagan. Um, <laughs> Ronald Reagan didn't do a lot of the things that he talked about and didn't uphold a lot of the ideals that he talked about, but there was tremendous value in the fact that he espoused those ideals and, and also, you know he elevated probably them. wanted to right he probably sure. wanted to but, right but since he's not a god or a dictator he doesn't have unlimited power to just do everything that he says and and this is like where I, i'm kind of like beating my head against the wall when i explain to libertarians i'm like look at thomas jefferson right here is somebody who as like no American president espoused as many libertarian values as Thomas Jefferson until he realized that he could not solve the problems that America was facing by just being entirely laissez-faire. There was he and I love especially the story of the Tripolitan pirates. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read. It's actually by Brian Kilmeade of Fox News, who, you know, you don't really think of always as like, you know, big intellectual heavyweight here. But I mean, his books are actually really terrific. And I think it's it's Thomas Jefferson and the the Tripoli, the Pirates of Tripoli. Um, but Muslim pirates were uh, capturing and enslaving American merchant seamen uh, 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 in the, the Mediterranean. And Thomas Jefferson says, listen, we can't, I'd love it for us to be non-interventionists, but the reality is we're going to have to kill, we're going to have to kill some Muslims. 
<laughs> if, if Thomas Jefferson could kill some Muslims, I think so can we. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's this idea that um, I, it's, you know, everybody has their version of utopia. And uh, Ben Shapiro, who I almost never listen to uh, anymore, but somebody sent me a video that he had that he put up on X last night. And I listened and all I listened to was the first six minutes. And that's all I need. I don't care about the rest of it. But he was so um, just on point in those first six minutes. The context of what he was talking about was this whole issue with removing the Speaker of the House and now the, the chaos that has ensued after that. And he talked about the fact that, you know, they they think, oh, we're going to show them. And what does establishment mean anymore? Everybody's establishment anymore. It's all performative. It just depends on if somebody does. It's like being a rhino. You know, somebody doesn't agree with you. But he said that they had a speaker who'd been in there for like five minutes. You know, McCarthy was in there for five minutes. But you get in there and do you think that he didn't want to do all of the things and it that you know people wanted him to do? But you have to get in there and you have to live in reality. And so you're not going to be able to do all of the things. But if we had a speaker in there right now who could say, wait, maybe we should have single issue bills, we would have something. But now we have nothing. And it right. looks like we will have nothing right. for quite you're, a while. If your your principles are, are going to hit the road, the rubber is going to hit the road at some point. And you've got to be able to make changes. But I love it. I saw this morning that like more and more of the anarchists that, you know, they're they're sending out the mating call. You know what I mean? Burr, 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 <laughs> man, the battlements. Right. Austin's, you know, you know, attacking our God. Uh, and they're saying things like, you know, like somebody like sent me a, <laughs> a a screenshot of a page of a book. And it's it says, you know what it is, Austin? It's just you haven't read the literature. And I'm like, Austin, oh, nuggets. <laughs> Like I've read all of the fucking, I've read all of your gay ass literature. Okay. I've read it all. Okay. If you can't even convince me, how are you going to convince Xi Jinping? If you can't convince me not, that the non-aggression principle is the right way to order society, how are you going to convince Kim Jong-un? If you can't convince me, how are you going to convince Vladimir Putin? Well, you know, because I don't know if you've ever seen, you'd never watched Game of Thrones, right? But there's this one part in the in the show where like um, the the good guy, you know, whatever. Um, uh, God, it's like in the first season where he comes up and he's like, uh, here's the right of claim that I'm the, the true king. And he shows him a piece of paper. And the woman who is like vying to be the, you know, the head of the, the king or the queen or whatever, Cersei is her name. She takes a piece of paper and she looks at it. And she goes, <laughs> nobody yeah. gives a shit. And pardon my language, but if I use it stronger or to pull a Larry David Jiff uh, here from, from Twitter, nobody gives a fuck about your book or your piece of paper. Nobody, tyrants don't give a shit. They don't care about you, your NAP, right? They don't care about anything like that. If you want peace, prepare for war. CV Pachem, Parabellum. The, to preserve peace, most effective means of preserving peace is to be ready to kill some motherfuckers. And that's what it is. If, you, if, you, if you're incapable of violence, like many of these people are, you're not a good person. You're not a good person because you say you're anti-war. You're a good person if you could nuke Vladimir Putin, if you could entirely glass Gaza, and you don't do it. That's how you know who the good guys are. Well, and it's still it's still this idea they this uh, utopian ideal that they have because you know it's like uh, you know liberty would exist if everyone was virtuous 
like it would be no problem. And then we can, yeah, we can talk, we can argue about what does virtue mean? Okay. But the point is, is if everybody was doing um, the best that they could and what they felt was in the best interest, not only of themselves, but of, of but of as their fellow humans, like the world would be a much different place. That's not reality. And as Thomas Sowell says, you know, like there, <laughs> everything is a trade-off. You know, we don't, we don't exist. Like every decision we make is a trade-off. And so you're, you, you're we were- Madison. I want to let you finish, but I just want to say this is from the Federalist Paper. You're essentially quoting the Federalist Papers here when you uh, number 51 to 60. If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. So this is Madison's views of the nature of ordinary man as imperfect and potentially self-serving. It applies that government is necessary to regulate human behavior and ensure that society functions, functions peacefully and justfully. So Madison rejects anarchy. Right. And I think that's part of what made, um, you know, the American dream is what made this American experiment so successful so far anyway, yeah. <laughs> is that the founders had this ability. And I'm trying to remember who who this quote comes from, but it's this idea that, you know, intelligency is the ability to hold opposing ideas at the same time. Because you have to, that's just the reality of how the world works. And you really can't just have your ideals without, you can't be a pacifist and still, you know, have a country. You won't have a country because there will be somebody who doesn't have your ideals who will come in and run you over. And we talk about what does that mean for, you know, liberty? What is that? What is, what does aggression even mean anymore? And I know I mentioned over the weekend, I was like, well, this brings up, you know, some interesting questions about free speech because free speech is such a huge deal here but how far can free speech go if i am verbally threatening you like where's the line yeah because no, when you I mean, talk and, about and i listen i want to get into this i'd love to I'm, I'm on the federalist papers here right now it's making me kind of excited so uh, unfortunately i've got to i've got to run because i know you got to run I, know, I just saw the time yes i know anything else you want to share with our listeners before we go uh, no, this is a great discussion. I'm glad that you are having it. And I know it upsets a lot of people, but I think it's so important that we even have these discussions because you're right. Your principles do have to exist in the real world. And if this idealist can become more of a pragmatist, then can you. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> and they should listen to what Judge Napolitano said a couple of weeks ago when he said, that the libertarians should thank me for asking these difficult questions. <laughs> Camelia, wonderful to see you. We'll see you again on Thursday. Have a great day. Have a good day. Thank you very much. I wanted to stay longer. We could have goofed around together, but she had to go, unfortunately. But we do have Brady Leonard, who's going to be joining us here in about 10 more minutes to chat about that. You can weigh in as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this at 573-319-1586. That's 573- 319-1586. Hot Water 84 says Camelia's looking fab today. Yes, she is. She always looks so pretty. It's nice to have people joining us here as well as Joni Rankin. What's up, Joni? She says, so what does it mean in the long term? Can businesses go on as usual until they find one? I kind of like the idea. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Um, you guys are having some conversation that doesn't involve me there. Uh, Robbie Theremin says, it's interesting how fast an aggressor chooses diplomacy when they have a 1911 pointed at their face. Exactly, Robbie. Thank you. <laughs> so what do you do, right? So like, what is, like, you know, I'm reading... Miyamoto Musashi. Highly recommend. He's got a book that's called uh, The Book of Five Rings. And in it, he's mostly his strategy is like sword strategy. He had this way of fighting 
with two swords. So he had like two katanas, right? Or a katana and a wakizashi. wakizashi. And he had a way of, of throwing his opponents off. Sometimes he would wait. So if he had a duel, right, uh, he would wait like, and be late an hour, two hours, three hours for the duel. And what would happen to the person who was waiting for it? They would be infuriated so that by the time they actually got to the duel, they were so flustered by being upset and angry at Miyamoto Musashi that he would beat them easily, right? This is a man who won like somewhere between like 60 or 90 duels, right? Like one-on-one -on -one duels. And some of them, some of them, I think he actually killed more than one, one person in some of his fights with his two, his two sword technique. But then what would he do after he had done this a couple of times where he would show up late to duels, he would then, the people would learn that that's, that was his technique, he would change his strategy and then he would start showing, he would show up early which essentially would mean that he was running an ambush, okay? So he struck first in that situation. Sometimes you wait, sometimes you strike first, but always you knew who your enemy was. Can't recommend enough highly his, uh, his book, The uh, Book of Five Rings, right? Even if you're not into martial arts or anything like that, it's just really cool Japanese history. Uh, he also has this really interesting fight. He actually won a fight against a famous swordsman using an oar, he had taken a, a block of wood, a chunk of wood, and carved it into an oar while on the way to his fight. And when the person showed up and they, they were expecting to see Musashi with his two swords, and instead he had an oar, and the guy is like, like, what the hell is this? And it was in that act of confusion that Musashi managed to beat him and bludgeon him to death with the oar because, again, it was the art of the unexpected. If you if your enemy knows that you won't attack unless you've been attacked first, you can guarantee you're going to get your ass handed to you in any kind of conflict, right? The best defense, no be there, right? But the second best defense is a good offense. For example, another anecdote here. Stephanie, um, my wife, has now been training with me in karate for about three years. And I, I remember about a year and a half when we first started doing kumite, which is like the actual, like, combat, right? Going fisticuffs. Um, she blocked, she only, she would only block, right? She would only block. And what she realized is that if you only block, if you're only doing defensive strategies, if you only have defensive tactics, you're going to get overrun. Eventually you're going to lose. You cannot continue to only play defense and win whatever conflict it is that you're in. You have to have a strategy, a tactical strategy to win an aggressive strategy, an and as a matter of fact, the best strategy is a preemptive strike. Now, I know the anarchists are re, re preemptive strike, are we good? You're George W. Bush and you're a neocon. What does a preemptive strike mean? What does the word preempt mean? All right, we have to go back to the definition of words, of plain words, I have to explain these things. Preempt means comes before something, right? Comes before, preempt means comes before. So they were going to do something you preempted them. Now, how did you know that your use of initiation, initiatory force was the correct one? Well, you're going to need a jury of your peers. Oh, okay. Well, a jury of your peers. Well, what does that imply? Well, that implies that there's something more than just negative rights out there, right? It implies that there's a positive right to a jury trial. How do we pay for jury trials? That might imply that there might be some form of taxation. Now, should it be voluntary to the largest extent possible? Certainly. Is taxation theft? Sure. 
Should we commit small acts of harm in order to achieve large great goods? Sure, just like we blow up, we use dynamite to blow up mines, just like we, we, we tear down fields, we destroy fields in order to plant our crops, we kill animals, moles, varmints, squirrels. Uh, we, you know, what do we do? We tear down rainforests and we plant our crops in order for us to have delicious founding flavors, coffee beans coming out of Colombia, single, ro single origin roast, delicious single origin roast coffee from, uh, oh, come on, Austin, where is the actual coffee in there? Hold on. E, e, e. Founding flavors. Mike Myers, no lives matter, painkiller coffee. Ah, oh, there it is. Bajing, bajing, bajing. Do you know how many naps were violated to bring you delicious founding flavors coffee, right? Do you know how many non-aggression principles? Do you know how many socialists probably had to be killed in order for them to have an economy that can actually function in order for me to be able to bring you this delicious coffee from the third world? Single, delicious single origin Colombian, my favorite founding flavors coffee that you can only get at apforlibertyshop.com. I can't even tell you how much land probably had to be burned, raised, and destroyed to the ground. How many South American socialists had to have their, had to have their throats cut in order for them to be able to have enough room in the economy to, be, to bring you delicious founding flavors coffee? Every cup of founding flavors coffee is another socialist throat slit. So enjoy it at apforlibertyshop.com. Joining us next, Brady Leonard. He's just as, as embarrassed as I am at the retarded anarchists in support of Hamas. It's really embarrassing to be a libertarian these days. It's time for a new movement. Let's talk about it with Brady Leonard when we get back on the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, rise and freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and grateful to have you here. Do me a favor, would you? Click that like button, subscribe to the channel that you're watching us on here right now. We're thankful to rumble.com for featuring us on the front page for like the last two and a half months. Rumble.com has stepped up in favor of free speech and blessed the Wake Up America show with all of these features so that we can get in front of such a nice big audience like yourselves. Do us a favor and help support the message of economic freedom and personal liberty. Subscribe to the channel you're watching us on right now. Not only are you helping to support our show, but you're also supporting alternative media institutions like Rumble.com, which stand up for free speech when other big tech institutions say, hell no. You don't like AP. They violated my nap. All right. Well, you've heard my conversation that I've been having this morning with Camelia Peterson and my rants, and maybe you follow me at x.com, they call it. I still kind of call it Twitter, where I call out what I say are the napses for being just way too cultish. It's really embarrassing to call yourself a libertarian when you see people out there saying, oh, I'm a libertarian too. And also Hamas, they're the good guys in this conflict. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're saying that kind of shit, and I got the receipts to prove it. Apparently, I'm not the only person who feels this way. Most of the people who agree with me send me direct messages, and they go, Hey, yo, AP, uh, I got your back. Well, if you got my back, do me a favor. Say it publicly, would you? <laughs> or make a contribution to the show. Become a monthly subscriber. Help me to build a new liberty movement, because, frankly, the old one's gone retarded. Joining me now to discuss is the host of the No Gimmicks podcast, and a self-described libertarian himself. His name's Brady Leonard. He's joining us live right now. Good morning, Brady. You're one of the few libertarians who gets up early. You must not be a big fan of drugs. <laughs> not a huge <laughs> fan of drugs. I also have a seven-month-old daughter, so getting up early is kind of just par for that. And plus, I'm a hunter and angler, too. I mean, you know, 
best time to shoot stuff for the freezer is, is first thing in the morning. So yeah, I'm go. an early riser, my brother. It's been a while, man. Good to talk to you. Yeah, glad to have you here, Brady. Um, you were one of those sneaky DMers. And hey, been hey, a lot. I gave you some retweets too. I, I gave do? you some okay, retweets I'm just, too. It's true. It's true. I'm just saying that like a lot of people more than happy to attack me publicly, but my supporters, maybe present company excluded, my supporters, they're all afraid to say things publicly and to loudly proclaim that Austin is correct about the cult of the NAP. Why do you think that is? It's, I don't know, man. It's, it's fun to be like, I get, because on the conservative side, you get this too with like the MAGA crowd, right? Like you just can't violate any of the, the, the foundational principles of whatever internet club you're in. And I mean, I have nothing, there's nothing wrong with being a principled libertarian, obviously. I would consider myself one, but I feel like a lot of people in the liberty movement have principled themselves into this like bizarre, childlike view of the world where they can no longer perceive reality as it exists, right? Like there's, there's nothing wrong with being an anarchist. I, I would consider myself an anarcho-capitalist. Like fundamentally speaking, I think the state is evil. The, the Murray Rothbard, would you press the button that would eliminate the state if you had the opportunity? I would. I'd hit that button so fast your head would spin, man. But like, I also live here. <laughs> like, in, in reality, in this country, so does my wife, so does my daughter. We're not going to live in this stateless Ancapistan anytime in my lifetime, probably not in my daughter's lifetime. It's just not realistic right now. So it's like, you can be principled to a fault to the point where you turn into a ridiculous child online. Or you can just look at the world we're living in and say, hey, how do I leave it a little bit better than how I found it? I'd rather live in reality and actually deal with the problems that exist as they are. And like the, the whole super principled libertarian position after this war broke out in Israel is to say that Hamas and the Israeli government are the exact same. Or the Israeli government's worse, worse than Hamas, right? Which is like, to, to get there, you have to... And these, these, the people saying this are the kinds of folks who rightly usually never believe anything the media is saying, right? They don't, they don't buy the lines from the corporate media. But to get there, you have to completely uncritically parrot Hamas propaganda that they're feeding to the AP and Al Jazeera and all this. So it's like, obviously war is awful, and I have my major problems with the Israeli government. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not defending the killing of civilians or anything like that. But it's like all these stories that, that libertarians have latched onto. You know, Israel bombed the hospital and killed 500 people. Well, that never happened. The hospital's fine. It was actually a Hamas rocket that failed and hit a parking lot. Israel blew up the third oldest church in the world. Church still standing. That, that, didn't, that didn't happen. And then just yesterday morning, the, a, a big famous photograph that was circulating Liberty Twitter of an alleged Israeli bomb that killed you know, hundreds and hundreds of children in Gaza. It was actually a photo from several months ago in Sudan. For anybody who's missed it, there's actually a civil war going on in Sudan. Nobody in the West cares because it's Africans killing Africans. And we've been ignoring that for a long, long time. But so that, that photo was debunked as well. So it's like, not only one is, is like a Western democracy, you can have all your problems with Israel you want, but a Western democracy is preferable to literal barbarians and, and to claim otherwise, oh, oh, you're, you're racist, taking... racist. How dare you? Oh, my God. Race. How dare you suggest that terrorists who murder children in their cribs on purpose are barbarians? It's almost like you believe that all, not all cultures are the same. 
But hold on just one moment, Brady, because it, we, uh, you've oh, opened up a lot of can of worms here. Uh, and I'd like to go piece by piece and make you eat worms. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, because these are not easy conversations to have, right? Because they involve uh, some of the darker aspects of the, the liberty movement, some of the more conspiratorial aspects of the liberty movement. But there sure does seem to be a lot of Jew hate out there, from what I can tell. Right. I'm not accusing anyone specific of anti-Semitism. However, I will say that it does where there's smoke, there's fire in some ways. Right. Because the question everything crowd, right, the ones who, oh, I don't buy into the uh, uh, to the narratives that are being spun. I don't believe in propaganda like they're 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 like the cure for 1984 is 1776. Those are the same people who are out there believing every anti-Israel, every anti-Israel piece of propaganda that Hamas puts out there. The mainstream media is, is to blame as well. But I notice that, I mean, here's the thing. Not all Nazis, not, not all conspiracy theorists are Nazis, but all Nazis are conspiracy theorists, right? And what is the ultimate conspiracy theory? What, that the cabal of international Jews are controlling everything and telling everyone what to do. And of course, every conspiracy theory comes back to the Jews, right? Which, you know, makes me question whether many of these people are actually being as objective as they claim to be when you see them parroting the anti-Israel narratives when they always happen to be propaganda bias and lies going against Israelis and therefore the Jews. I mean, am I, am I, Am I off track here, Brady? Am I saying anything that just doesn't jive with you? Feel free to disagree. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's it it goes back to the be the the childlike idealism, the, the the childlike clinging to principles, which principles are good. But if you're so married to these principles that you're just ignoring what's going on in real life, that's a major problem. I mean, like it it's true that anti Israel or anti-Zionism is not inherently anti-Semitism. Of course, that's true. If you're criticizing a government, it's not the same as, as right. criticizing N people. Not all anti-Zionists are anti-Semites, but all anti-Semites are oh. anti-Zionists. But it's like the, the folks the that bother me are, you know, they'll say, you know, anti, I'm just anti-Israel, not anti-Jew. And then they'll completely ignore the obvious anti-Semitism that's happening in most American I mean, there's a pro-Hamas. I live in Toledo, Ohio. There was a pro-Hamas rally a couple miles from my house, you know, last week, and I'm like, this, this seems less than ideal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I <laughs> like would this, think so. I, oh, yeah, yeah, I like that description. Less than so, ideal. So, so, like, if you don't hate Jews, I mean, why libertarians wouldn't? When other people are being, you know, if if these people in the streets were chanting gas the blank or kill more blank and it gas wasn't Jews, whites. it was something else, kill the they, they would have, like, people would speak up a lot easier. Yeah. But for some reason, people are so, like, the liberty movement is so anti-Israel that they're like, we're just going to ignore anti-Semitism. We're going to ignore it. We're going to pretend it doesn't happen because it's uncomfortable. It, it, it goes up against our narrative that we're trying to push here, that the Israelis are just as bad as Hamas, and we're just going to ignore it. And it's like, man, I get texts and DMs and stuff from my Jewish friends who are terrified. Yeah, I mean, they're same. seeing, I, and I don't blame them. I, I, I give the same advice every time. You need to arm yourself. You need to buy guns. If you need advice on what to buy, how to go through the paperwork, yep. what to do, where to get firearms training, reach out. 
I'll connect you with people in your area. I'll help you out. Yeah. That's yeah. that as libertarians, that's how we should be. We should be speaking to our Jewish friends and saying, Hey man, like I get it. This is terrible. There's a lot of people out there that apparently hate you. And what, what can we do to, to make you more comfortable? How can we fill up that gun safe at your house and make sure you're, you're adequately prepared to defend your family? Instead, a lot of the libertarians are just like, no, it's not happening. It's just, you know, it's just propaganda. It's just the Israeli government. They, you know, they control the blood. And then they're just like, oh, okay. Like you're, you're going down. It, it, you're not really making the case that you're not anti-Semitic if you're, if you're perfectly willing to ignore it. And, and sweep ask, it under the rug. Can I ask you something, Brady? This is kind of a, sure. a, a tall claim. I do have some evidence uh, to suggest that this is true. But I mean, just anecdotally speaking, I wonder, do you think that there are some um, foreign assets that are in the liberty movement? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and I, I wouldn't. Do you have a suspicion at all? Because I do. I actually, I, I think that there are probably, because... You know, the, the CIA and the NSA aren't the only evil, evil government intelligence agencies right. out there who are operating around the world. It might be a little bit naive for right. you to if I went to a libertarian rally, Brady, and I said that the CIA is paying people in foreign, you know, using American taxpayer dollars, paying people in foreign countries to spread pro-American propaganda. I don't think I'd get a word of dissent. I think I'd probably get a big applause. But I think people would probably be quite upset if I suggested that perhaps Russian or Chinese or North Korean intelligence agencies may be paying or controlling uh, people here in the United States to spread their own propaganda. The Russia, there were a lot of Russian flags and very pro-Russian content coming out, especially the first six months or so of the Ukraine war mm -hmm. that did, you know, I, I noticed, I, I, you know, I noticed the same things you did. I think Austin, I, uh, Notice I mean, it. I don't know. Mm. Like, I don't want to Notice accuse it. anybody of anything, but it's like you can't get there as a libertarian unless you're getting paid <laughs> because it's like <laughs> I hate my own government. I think my own government is awful. I mean, they locked me in my house and called me non-essential and they stole all of my money and sent it overseas to bomb kids. OK, plenty like I have nothing reasons, but contempt plenty of for my own. No yes, plenty of reasons. But I think the Russian government's the much government. worse. The Russian government's objectively worse than my own. And I hate my own government. So it's like as somebody who feels the way I do about the American federal government, there was, eh, yeah, I, you might, you might be onto something there. Yeah. No, I think that some of them are, you know, you see the, uh, you know, the Scott Ritters of the world, like drinking vodka with Russian generals and you, you know, that might be, a, that might be an indicator, right? It's just, it's Liberty, man. He just wants Liberty. Yeah. Yeah. And so then all the uh, charges of uh, pedophilia that are labeled against him, of course, are part of the regime. Right. All the, uh, you know, the sexual assaults that he committed on minors, those must be, you know, strung up by the American, you know, the intelligence agencies. Everything's a CIA op. Everything's a PSYOP, right? When just, it, just asking questions. I'm just asking questions, Peterson. Just asking questions, right? Just asking questions. I do find that fascinating that, you know, that the one of the conspiracy theorists movements like top priorities is to get the list of clients from Jeffrey Epstein. And yet they have a confirmed pedophile in their ranks who they lift up to the highest levels and put there up on speaking engagements. And then you have the head of the Ron Paul Institute, for example, Daniel McAdams, who says that he supports Putin. I mean, cringe, Brady. Cringe. It's just you're, you've, you've principled yourselves into a bizarre little pretzel. And it, it, I don't know if you've noticed, and I know you have. I'm talking to the audience, not you specifically, my brother, but the liberty movement's down bad right now. I mean, we, 
Look yeah. around. I mean, we we lost. Like we don't have the Ron Paul movement like we had, you know, from 2007 to 2012. The energy's gone. The the numbers are gone. We just don't have and if you look at have we gotten anybody elected? I mean, who are our people? I mean, Tom Massey throwing, you know, Rand Paul, maybe Mike Lee, a couple others. Like we're down bad right now. And do you really think that do you, is this is this behavior the way to change hearts and minds? I saw a tweet that blew up on Liberty Twitter. Everybody was dogpiling on Ron DeSantis the other day when he said, I'm paraphrasing here, so I'm going to butcher it, but it was something along the lines of like, hey, if you're here on a student visa and you're chanting gas the Jews at a Hamas rally, we should probably send your ass back to where he came from. Everybody's like, oh, he's a tyrant. You can't say that. All cultures are the same. Oh, this is so terrible. I'm like, guys, like, until five seconds ago, this violence. was a, I, I'm, I'm a man of the West, as, as Tolkien would say. I don't yeah. apologize for that. And some cultures are better than others. And of, yes, I wish I could haul off the entire federal government and throw them in prison for crimes against humanity because I can't. I can't do that. But I do have to live in this country. And I have a family who also has to live in this country. So I, I don't apologize for having preferences on who comes in to the country and who doesn't and support for literal terrorist organizations, it seems like a low bar to clear if you're going to be welcomed into this country. For some reason, these extraordinarily principled libertarians are so principled that they, 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 cannot, they can't accept that we're allowed to have preferences on, on who comes into the... It's crazy. We have a country for a reason, at least right now, whether you like it or not. I, I don't apologize for saying, yeah, I mean, we should kind of pick and choose who comes in. Like that... Until five seconds ago, that seemed like a very consensus position. And even if you are an anarchist, let's say the state was eliminated tomorrow in your Ancapistan voluntarist community, you're still going to have barriers to entry. Like you're not going to let Hamas in. Like that's that that's not nobody wants that. Nobody wants that as their neighbor. It's my my goodness. And this is common sense. Like if if you if you can't realize this. What are you doing? Like, are, are you really in a position to change hearts and minds for the cause of liberty in this country? I don't think so. I think you're going to look like a joke to everybody with, with any want, But sense. do they really want to change hearts and minds, I mean, Brady? I mean, don't they really just want to be like, you know, king of their little shit castles and like, you know, pile up poop on top of their head and, and say, I'm the truest, I'm the only true libertarian in the world? I mean, they are what Murray Rothbard described as Luftmenschen, right? It's counterculture. It, the reason right. why they don't they, they claim to hate Israel and the Jews is because they say they see them as the establishment, right? The United States is their is the most powerful country in the world, and they're their big brother. And because they're protecting them, then it's there. What's weird about this too is that what you really see is these anarchists are actually buying into wokeism because what they're doing is they're placing the world into an oppressor and oppressed status. So what these right. li these libertarians are really doing, which is so funny because many of them work so hard to drive what they call left libertarians out of the party, when in reality, they just wanted to push out people who were like cool with gays, right? And, and sometimes we're saying some socialist shit. But the reality is, Brady, is that what they, they're doing is they're buying into woke ideologies of oppressor and oppressed status. And, and they're captured by the Hegelian dialectic. That, that's part of it. And then a I think the other, the flip side of that, and it's broader than just the the Israel or the Jewish stuff. I think I think you're absolutely right about that, and for probably half of them. And then the other half, they're so autistically libertarian that they can't like they look at the world around them and they can't see that they should have a preference. I mean, they they'd be like, okay, 
like Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders, the exact same. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> neither one. If one of them were emperor of the United States, neither one would be better or worse. And you can have all the problems in the world with Ted Cruz. I have some problems with Ted Cruz, but like, like a normal, like conservative who understands economics kind of and would be okay versus like a, a Marxist. It's like, guys, you can't. And I got so much guff over the years for, because I am a registered Republican. I'm from Ohio, always have been. And I, you know, the liberty movement gives me shit all the time for, you know, how could you do this? I'd vote for Trump. I'm like, because I live here. I li- Ohio comes <laughs> down to a couple thousand votes a lot of the time. It's a true swing state. I live here. My wife lives here. My daughter lives here. My parents live here. I have a vested interest in like living in this society and trying to leave it a little better than I found it. And so, yes, I'm allowed to have principles and preferences at the same time. And you're not hypocritical. Like, you're not a hypocrite because you behave like an adult, because you just look at the choices in front of you and make a wise decision. That doesn't make you unprincipled to be normal. Well, exactly. Thank you for that, Brady. And I also, I, I really like, uh, you know, when I'm coming back to this uh, example, why I think that these uh, anarchists are really are wokists is because they engage not only in the same kind of oppressor oppressed view of, of humanity, but they also have what we call the magical moral time machine. They like to go back and to judge the decisions made by great men like Abraham Lincoln, for example, and say, oh, well, if he had done this, he should have done this. He should have done this, or he should have done that. Or great men like Harry Truman of Missouri and say, oh, well, he should have never dropped the bomb because the Russians, of course, were going to invade Manchuria and then they wouldn't have had to do it because then the Russians would have done all this. And it's kind of like, listen, you stupid assholes. You don't know what it's like to have been in that situation where millions of American men could potentially die on the beaches after hundreds of thousands of your boys had already been slaughtered in senseless violence overseas. And then you're the president of the United States and you have this near magical super weapon that could potentially end the war immediately. They didn't want it to go on for another week. They didn't want it to go on for another day, right? Let alone for another year and hope for some possibility that the Russians are gonna come and save the day and invade maturity. And then we saw what happened when the United States let let the Russians take over Berlin, right? What that that ended up being the wrong move, right? Eisenhower regretted not sending the Americans into the meat grinder of Berlin, and it would have been nasty to have them fighting all the way to the Reichstag. And yeah, more Americans might have died in there, but at least we wouldn't have had the, the you know the veracity of the Cold War, and we wouldn't have had East Berlin, and we wouldn't have had you know Stalag seventeen and the gulags of of East Germany. So I mean, there's this to to wrap this all up. It, it goes back to this, uh, this consequence of like, it's the same ideology as the people who are tearing down statues in this country, right? They look, yeah. they look back at the great men of the past, like Thomas Jefferson and go, mm-hmm, well, I would have been different. I would have done, acted differently. No, you wouldn't. You, you little pussy ass bitch. You wouldn't have done jack shit. You would have been just like everybody else. You're no better or worse than any of us. And in many times, often Brady, my argument is, is that many of these people are actually worse. Just my. Well, I mean, well, you can look at their decisions they make in their own personal lives and and deduce whether or not they would have what it takes to be a great man in history. You know, and they they take it's not just historical figures. They they look at, they, you know, I don't know. I'm a friendly guy. I like making friends. I like being cool with people. I have people on my show all the time that I disagree with, and we never argue. It's just we have a good time. We have a constructive conversation. And for some reason, these people are allergic to that. 
I mean, they do the same thing with with modern figures as they do with historical figures. They'll they'll talk shit about Thomas Massey because he like has to play the game as a congressman a little bit and can't be an anarchist. You know, like right. they'll they'll talk shit about you for not being intellectually pure or me for not being intellectually pure. It's like I'm out here trying to actually make a difference, man. I'm actually trying to move the ball forward one yard at a time. So are you. So is Massey, Rand Paul, Thomas Jefferson, Calvin Coolidge, Grover mm-hmm. Cleveland. You throw out history. It's like, yeah, these men aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But for the love of God, like, neither are you, my brother. Like, get your own house in order before you start oh, right, criticizing right. me. And it's like, dude, what have you can exactly, you know, like, what are these people contributing to the movement other than the internet? Right? Did they did they raise a million dollars for Ron Paul like I did? Right? Did they did they produce Judge Napolitano's Freedom Watch and get that show on the air and make it happen? Not only and not only when I was not working for Fox Business, I was outside of that institution and I launched that show on in the network. One of the most difficult things I've ever done. Have you ever run for president? Because that shit sucks. It's hard and it's really it, it it really takes a toll on your personal life and on your professional life. I'll never be able to have another normal job again. What have you done, Mother Truckers, is all I'm going to say. <laughs> what have you done? Not you, Brady, but the royal you. <laughs> no, absolutely, man. Couldn't agree more. Anyways, not to pat myself on the back or anything. Anyways, Brady, thanks for letting me blow off some steam here, buddy. You want to uh, promote your podcast before we let you go? Absolutely. It's the No Gimmicks Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brady Leonard. Uh, happy to have you. Okay. And sorry for all the bad language this morning. I usually keep it PG, PG-13, but... I'm violating everybody's nap today. Uh, Brady, thanks <laughs> dark, so much for t- Dark times we're living in, my friend. Dark times, my friend. Dark times. It's time for us to uh, change course. Time for us to look for a new path. Thanks, Brady. Have a great day. You too, brother. What would you guys think of Brady Leonard? Send us a text at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show at 573-319-1586. Remember, he who dares not offend cannot be honest. Thomas Paine. That's his quote. I didn't even have to look that up. I had that one by memory. Think about it in this context. He who dares not offend cannot be honest. If I've offended you this morning, at least you'll know that I was honest with you. Honestly, good coffee. Thomas's painkiller over at AP4LibertyShop.com. That's AP, the number four, AP4LibertyShop.com. Get yourself some delicious founding flavors coffee. You know what I'd love for you to do? The holiday season is here, and I know that it's still warm outside here in mid-Missouri, but it's going to get cold here really soon. The frost is starting to get on the windows in the mornings. So put your car in the garage and set yourself up with a monthly subscription to Founding Flavors Coffee. Get yourself either a bi-weekly, a monthly, two-month, three-month subscription to Founding Flavors Coffee. I know what you're saying. Austin, well, I don't know if I really drink that much coffee, but aren't you going to go to holiday parties? Don't you want to be the cool guy amongst your friends group that gifts all of your friends and your family delicious Founding Flavors Coffee? We've also got a new flavor coming very soon as well. Now is a great time to head over to APForLibertyShop.com. Get yourself some delicious coffee. We've got Don't Tread On Me shirts. We've got Gadsden flag sneakers. We have things at APForLibertyShop.com that you cannot find anywhere else, any Liberty and any other Liberty merch store. So if you love freedom, you love the United States, you love Thomas Paine, you love coffee, you love America, AP for Liberty Shop is the place to go. Get yourself that APForLibertyShop.com delicious founding flavors coffee, and we'll see you tomorrow. I think we'll have Kirk Cameron tomorrow on the Wake Up America show at WakeUpAmericaShow.com.